Our scripture text for today is 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 10 and going through verse 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Our scripture text for today begins with the words concerning this salvation. You'll recall that the Apostle Peter was writing these blessed truths to Jewish believers, men and women who had in their earlier years grown up in the synagogue, learning the Old Testament laws and especially learning that their salvation would come to them only as they lived in obedience to the law. But then, as these words tell us, through the preaching of the good news they had heard, they had given their hearts to Christ and they had been saved. And here the Apostle Paul finds it needful to remind them that the blessed plan that had brought them to salvation, salvation that had come to them through faith in Christ and by his sacrifice of atonement on the cross, and not through obedience to the law, was no new biblical doctrine. That the Old Testament prophets were well aware and plainly taught that true salvation must come through a person, through a Messiah, sent from God and not through the law or through the works of their own hands. The only thing that the Old Testament prophets had not known was exactly who the Messiah would be and exactly when he would come. And as these words tell us, no matter how much those prophets searched and inquired into the Old Testament scriptures, they could not determine those things for themselves. Why did God veil this from the eyes of those prophets? We can't know that answer for sure, but I'm convinced that one reason was that had they have known the whole story, they would not have needed faith. For that reason, God seems always to leave part of his plan a mystery. A mystery. Our faith is ever so important to God, and faith requires mystery. These words again, beginning in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he, the Spirit of Christ, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. As I read these words, I'm very aware that many of our modern-day church leaders tend to rely far more on the words of the New Testament, not paying much proper respect nor giving proper credence to the truths that are contained within the Old Testament. They pick certain New Testament verses that speak about our not being under the law, but being under grace. And in error, they assume that those verses are referring to the whole of the Old Testament and to their loss and to the loss of their listeners. 
they literally toss out many of the precious truths that are given in the laws and the prophets. Words like those that we'll study here today. They don't seem to understand that words of instruction such as those to Timothy from the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3 were referring specifically to the Old Testament scriptures telling how valuable and how absolutely needful those Old Testament scriptures will always be to us as we believe in Christ and as we trust in Him. Listen to these words from 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for instruction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, yes, the scriptures referred to here would eventually also include the New Testament scriptures, but at the time the Apostle Paul penned these words, there was no New Testament, only the Old Testament. So again, every jot and tittle of the Old Testament law and prophets are forever valid, and they are forever breathed out by God, whether they be Old or New Testament. And they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And may I also add, please, do not for a minute listen to anyone who preaches otherwise. Now, may we also take a moment and consider what God really intended by those words in Romans 6 that make reference to our not being under the law, but being under grace. There in Romans 6.14, we read, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The matter that's at the forefront here in these words is sin. But before anyone can ever know what sin really is, and if they have committed a sin, they must first be able to know of a structured set of laws that are in place that define the standards of right and wrong for us. Just as simply, just as simply as those speed limit signs on our highways are given to establish the limits for safe driving, so also, folks, the laws of God are given to establish good and loving and safe standards of conduct. First between us and God, and then between us and each other. As it now stands, you and I need only to compare our behavior to the laws of God to know if we have sinned. Unfortunately, our relationship to the law doesn't end with simply knowing when we've sinned. We need also to know of a remedy that will correct those many occasions when we do behave badly and violate God's laws. And we surely will do that the moment that we walk out of these doors. But this is where so many people go astray, both Jews and non-Jews alike. And that's one of the points that God wants us to understand from this passage today. So many, many people, both Jews and non-Jews alike, believe that if they simply work hard to not violate God's laws and then do some good works, then they'll be okay. Unfortunately, though, that will never satisfy the standards of God's holiness. In Romans 4, we're told that if we were able to earn our salvation by our own 
personal good efforts, then we could boast it must be through grace, that free gift from God, so that no man can boast. That's told to us in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. And this free gift from God spoken about here comes to us only through the shed blood of Christ and through our faith in Him and in His sacrifice that paid the penalty for our sin. Folks, there is no other way, no other means of salvation for our souls. None. And as our worship text explains to us here, by the unction of the Spirit of Christ, the Old Testament prophets knew about this truth, about grace. And their hearts were continually searching through all of the scrolls and the scriptures to find who this Messiah might be and when he had appeared. And such was also for the angels, we're told here. The scriptures again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. May we pause here for a moment and take in exactly what God is saying to us in these words. These are wonderful words that reveal so much to us. Hundreds, even thousands of years before the Lord Jesus came to the earth, His Holy Spirit was speaking words into the hearts and into the minds of the prophets. Prophets like Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and others, telling them all of the things that would take place in the years to come. And especially when he, when Jesus the Messiah, will come to the earth to save the souls of men. And we can only imagine the excitement in Isaiah's heart as he began thinking and writing down the words given to him by the Spirit of Christ. Listen to these words in Isaiah 9 that tell about when Jesus would come and be born among us as a child. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Our worship text tells us that as Isaiah wrote these words, he was yearning to personally know who he was thinking and who he was writing about and when it would all come to take place, when this Messiah would be born. And again, these words were coming into Isaiah's mind from the Holy Spirit. So he didn't know personally know any more about the coming Christ than we would have known. The reality is you and I now actually know far more than Isaiah knew then because we are now able to look back into all the subsequent scriptures and at all of the events that have taken place, especially there at Calvary, 
Isaiah truly did yearn to know what you and I now know. And I believe that that would have been especially so as Isaiah thought through and wrote the words in Isaiah 53 about the sufferings of Christ. Listen to these words. This is Isaiah 53 beginning in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. And the he that is being spoken about here is the Christ, Jesus. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. Folks, don't you remember how Jesus, as he stood before Pilate, as he stood before Herod, he opened not his mouth. This is what Isaiah was prophesying about 700 years before it took place. Verse 8, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Folks, within these words are just about all of the gospel that mankind really needs to convince our souls about why and how and through whom salvation comes. Verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, upon Christ, the iniquity of us all. This is the why. This is the why. You and I are lost sheep. We have gone astray and we need a faithful shepherd to come to look for us and to find us and to redeem us and to bring us back safely into the fold. The Spirit of Christ is our great shepherd of the sheep. But the tragedy, the great tragedy is, as Christ, our great shepherd of the sheep pursued after us to save us he had to go through the awful sufferings of the cross sin violates the holiness of God sin has to be dealt with and removed from our souls and to do that the Lord God the Father laid on him the Lord Jesus the iniquity of us all And as the Lord Jesus shed his blood there and died there on the cross, he took all of our sin and iniquity away from our souls. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And again, can't you just imagine as Isaiah pondered and thought through all these words as he penned them, he must have been both brokenhearted but also overwhelmed with gratefulness. Here God was revealing to Isaiah that it would be Isaiah's own sin that would help put Christ through all his awful sufferings. But then also, 
that it would be through his, through Christ's stripes, that he, Isaiah, would be forgiven and healed. And also that this blessed grace would reach to all sinners everywhere for all generations to come. A future grace. A future grace. And while we aren't told such, I choose to imagine that Isaiah ran throughout the halls of the palace and throughout the temple preaching these words and crying and rejoicing and praising God. But again, according to our worship passage here today, God also chose to limit some of the details that Isaiah would be able to understand, especially those details about when the Messiah would come and and who the Messiah would be. So Isaiah then was left to his faith, just as we are left to our faith every day. Those words again in First Peter. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Here, God tells us that Isaiah was able to know that his words were about grace and that they were especially intended for those of us who would inhabit future generations. And that's so very obvious now when we can look back both at Isaiah's prophecies and then also at the historical events of Jesus' crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And were it not, folks, were it not for such scriptures as those of Isaiah 9, telling about the birth of Jesus, and then also the words of Isaiah 53 that tell us about his suffering and his death on the cross, we might never have identified Jesus as being the one Isaiah was prophesying about here. Again, the central message within these words of today's text is about God's blessed grace. Grace. Yes, spoken about 2,700 years ago by Isaiah, but effectual for you and me today as we live and move and have our being within this iniquity-laden world of today. Grace has such a mystical power within it that you and I will forever struggle to truly comprehend. Especially that grace was not just a one-time gift of salvation that saved our souls on one particular day. Yes, it was that. But it is also much, much more. Grace is an ever-flowing river of atonement, a river of living water, ever washing, ever cleansing each of us from our sins and from our iniquities. Yes, at repentance and salvation, all our past sins were wiped away. But as you and I well know, sin will continue to do its work in us. And those future sins demand the need for future grace. And thankfully, that too will be freely given to us through Christ. What's required of you and me, for us to obtain this future grace. First, it is already ours through our initial salvation. 
But God does also want a continuing response from us. And that response is faith. Our faith is what keeps us flowing along with that river of God's grace. Many preachers of today tell us that gratitude is our best response to the blessed gift of salvation from the Lord Jesus. And yes, gratitude towards Christ for all that he's done is a very right thing to do. But the most important response from us must always be faith. Faith, a living and ongoing faith, a faith that can flow with us as we are carried along by the free-flowing waters of God's grace. One final thought before we close. May I recommend a book to you by John Piper? It's entitled Future Grace. Future Grace. There, Piper encourages us to know that God's grace only began its great blessing of us in those first moments when we first received Christ as our Savior. From those first moments on and continuing forever throughout eternity, His future grace will be ever-present to continue to guide and to protect and to bless us beyond all we could ever hope or imagine. Praise be to God for His grace. Listen as I close. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Amen. Let's pray.